Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. You can curse the wind or dance with it. Shelby Mann. The snow that we're on literally separates from the mountain and just starts sliding down like super fast because it was very, very steep. And so we're going down like 30 plus miles an hour down this mountain and I'm facing the mountain so I can't even see where we're going right now. So I had to turn myself over with my big backpack on and my snowshoes and everything. And I'm using my snowshoes to try to break into the snow. So I'm literally just digging them in as hard as I can, like tensing my legs up as hard as possible and just like holding the, the mountain like next to me and like grabbing the snow with my fingers, trying to just slow myself down. And Gatsby's running behind me thinking this is the best thing ever that he's ever done and he's having the time of his life. And I'm trying to like stay conscious. I'm Doc and this is the John Freaking Muir Pod. Welcome to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail, dirtbags and hiker trash. I'm Doc and this is the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Let's start off with a reminder. If you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute to help us out. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. 
All right, let's get to this week's guest, a hiking guide and coach from Colorado, Shelby Mann. Welcome to the pod, Shelby. How's it going? Hello, I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Now, we usually go by trail names here on the podcast. So Doc does not appear on my paycheck or my driver's license, uh, but that's <laughs> that's what I go by here. In your time out on the trails, have you picked up a trail name? You know, I haven't picked up like an official trail name, I wouldn't say. Um, I have been called trail mom several times because I'm always prepared, um, but I haven't done a through hike. I feel like that's where you really develop your trail name. I haven't done that yet. All right. Well, I, you know what? I, I think we'll just go with Shelby then, if that's okay. <laughs> I like it. That sounds good. Okay. Hey, Shelby, have you had a chance to listen to the podcast before? I have. I've listened to uh, over a handful of episodes, probably like 10 episodes or so. Um, I actually recently listened to the Julia Jacks episode for How to Poop in the Woods, and that was awesome. She She's was, amazing. She is hilarious. <laughs> yes. All right. So you're familiar with the format of the podcast. Uh, just a reminder, we do have a segment towards the end called the Pro Tip Insight of the Week. That's where I will turn to you and ask you to share some trail wisdom with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. So don't be surprised. All right. That sounds good. Okay. And you're probably familiar with this one, too. The must bring gear review. Oh, so, yes. <laughs> yes. This is the must bring gear review sponsored by the ultralight backpacking gear company, Six Moon Designs. Are you a fan of Six Moon Designs? You know, I haven't used them actually. I need to need to try, try them out. Yeah. Lots of good gear. And here's how the must bring gear review works. If you were to let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for a multi-day hike, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a particular brand for that specific piece of gear, even better. So Shelby, what uh, what's your must-bring piece of gear out there? Well, I will say this one because I've actually forgotten it before. Um, but my sleeping pad, um, my sleeping pad, I actually, one of my goals this summer for backpacking was to kind of bulk down um, or debulk, I guess, my backpack. Um, so I actually ended up purchasing the Nemo Tensor um, and I love it. I'm obsessed with it. It packs down really small. Um, the back or the sleeping pad that I had before was actually the big Agnes, um, Q core. And it's actually like half the weight of that sleeping pad, which is amazing. Um, so it saved me a lot of weight and for being a smaller backpacker, that's super important for me. Um, I usually end up carrying like 30 to 35% of my weight, um, on my trips and stuff. So that's huge. Um, and then sometimes I will bring that switchback sleeping pad as well, just to kind of protect it against sharper surfaces. But, yeah, Nemo Tensor is awesome. 30 to 35% of your body weight you carry? Yeah, I'm a I'm a small backpacker. Um, hope, so my I packs hope, usually I hope you weigh about seven pounds. <laughs> no, no. Um, yeah, I usually end up carrying like 35 to 40, 40 pounds or so. Um, this summer I was actually able to cut that down to 30. So that's been great. I definitely am more of a comfort backpacker though. I would say. Okay. Something I'm working on. <laughs> well, you know what? That is a perfect lead in. It's the hiking pole for the hiking pole. I love talking about gear. And so this, the, these, this pole will help us uh, get into that topic. Now this perfect. is the hiking pole with pole spelled P O L L like a survey, not the kind you carry in your hand. <laughs> I like those too. I, I like to uh, point point that out to show how clever I am with the wording. <laughs> the hiking pole. This is a seven question survey. 
that not only is going to allow us to talk about gear, but it's also going to help me give you a score on the sanity scale from one to a hundred. Okay. 100 being completely sane and one being completely insane. All right. We'll see. I'm okay, curious now, myself. <laughs> your sound technician that was in there earlier, what, what score would he give you? If I were to ask him, where would, where would you rank Shelby on the sanity scale? Would he rank you high insanity or, or pretty low? I mean, I would say I'm a pretty intelligent person, but I do do some crazy things sometimes. So maybe, maybe somewhere in the middle, realistically. <laughs> okay. Now I, I have I do have some automatic deductions that we need to get out of the way here. Have you ever done one of the American long trails like the PCT, the CDT, or the AT? That's an automatic twenty-five point deduction. <laughs> no, but is being is there a deduction for having the goal of being a triple crown holder? Oh, slight, slight, not twenty-five. Maybe, maybe <laughs> okay, ten points, ten points. All right. Have you ever spent the night in a porta potty or a public restroom? I cannot say that I have. Okay. Have you ever stood at the top of a 13,000 foot pass with two metal poles in your hand and uh, thunderclouds overhead? Yes. Oh, okay. Ah. They were aluminum trekking poles. Aluminum. But okay. yes. <laughs> All right. Hey, I'm just, I'm just kidding around here. That was kind of the cue to start heading down though. So there's that, right? That, that's right. That uh, heading down with a little bit of purpose, some speed. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, Running that, a little bit. I'm going to start off with our first question here. And I think we already answered it. Uh, question number one is trekking poles or no trekking poles? Yes, I'm a huge fan of trekking poles. Um, I feel like I have to be as a hiking guide. I think that's kind of the law. Um, but yeah, I was against them forever, actually, probably for over half of my hiking career. And then I don't know. I just started getting into like longer distances and stuff. And I noticed my recovery times increasing a lot. And so that was a huge way to decrease my recovery time and help my knees a bit. And I want to do this for years and years to come. So that's a huge priority for me now. Um, but yeah, I feel like the rewards of trekking poles kind of just reap the the benefits, you know, of using them. Right now, do you guide for primarily novices or do you have some experienced hikers that, that uh, follow you? You know, it's really interesting. I would say it depends on what your definition of experience is. I have hikers that will, they've hiked for years and years, but never really stepped out of their comfort zone. And that's kind of one of the main things that I work with people on is kind of pushing back or pushing through some of those barriers. Um, but for the most part, I do have a lot of novices, especially people that um, recently moved to Colorado because I'm based in Fort Collins. Um, so recently moved to Colorado and haven't hiked in the mountains in this type of terrain. And um, yeah, want to learn how to do it safely. And do a lot of the novices show up without poles? They do. Yes. Uh, most of them actually have never used them. So a lot of times I end up carrying two sets of poles, one for myself and one for them. And I'm like, okay, at what point, like you, do you want to try to use these? And eventually they will. Um, usually when it's a little bit steeper and they see me doing okay. Um, but yeah, a lot of them do not use poles and never have. And most of them tell me that they won't use them afterwards as well. Really? <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess it just depends on like who you are and what kind of hiking you're doing though. If you're trying to do a lot of long distance stuff, then I highly recommend them. They will save you in the long run for sure. Okay. Question number two, boots or trail runners? What do you have on your feet? Oh my goodness. I am the clumsiest hiker that I know. So I always have boots. Um, I'll admit that 
I have actually never tried trail runners, so I'm not sure if I would like them. Um, but yeah, I usually have a heavier pack on, like I mentioned. So having boots is really helpful. Um, and I'm usually on like pretty rocky terrain. So I like having something that's going to really grip the ground pretty good. Now, Shelby, is there any parallel between a, a novice hiker who has never tried poles and uh, refuses to try them and uh, a hiking <laughs> guide that only wears boots and has never tried, tried trail runners? I mean, I was both of those people at one point in time slash currently. So um, maybe, but I don't know. I think in terms of hiking and stuff, like it's just walking, right? So I've kind of learned to balance better and um, really pay attention to my gait and, you know, how I'm stepping and stuff. And it's actually made me a lot more aware of my body, which is a huge benefit as well. Okay. What kind of boots? I am currently wearing the La Sportiva um, Nucleo High Gore-Tex boots, and I love them. Um, they're actually a great kind of year-round boot because of the fact that they're Gore-Tex and they're a little bit higher. They just barely cover my ankles, so I can wear them through snow. Um, and then another favorite of mine are the Keen Targi 2s. Um, those are a fantastic hiking boot, especially if you have a wider toe box. Mm-hmm. Now, if the boots work for you, if your feet feel fine, you got no blisters, then, you know, keep doing what you're doing. No need to, yeah. to fix what's not broken. Fair enough. Yeah. I think um, one of my goals for this next year is to really kind of focus on speed a little bit more. I've spent a lot of time focusing on the comfort aspect and like what to bring to stay safe. Um, and so now getting into speed is a little bit more out of my comfort zone. Um, so I might actually try trail runners this year. We'll see. Now, speaking of speed, this just reminded me, um, the FKT of the Colorado Trail at one time, I'm not sure if it's still currently held by him, was set by Jeff Garmeyer. Yeah. Are you familiar with him? I, I know a little bit about him. Okay. Yeah. He just he just had a film premiere in Colorado. They flew out to Colorado to do the film premiere of his FKT on the Colorado. Oh, Trail. how cool. That's yeah. awesome. I didn't see that. I'll have to check that out. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Jason Alexander. Jason Alexander. That's not the right name. The guy who did mile, mile and a half. I know it's not Jason Alexander. His first name is Jason. Oh, I didn't I see that. I can't remember his. It's the like the quintessential <laughs> uh, John Muir Trail documentary, mile, mile and a oh, half. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yep. And then Dylan Harris, they 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 did it and uh, evidently got a standing ovation on the premiere. So Wow, that's awesome. Okay. Thank you for the rock. I'll have to check that out. Check that out. Okay. Question number three. And I'm going I'm to figure out what Jason's last name is to give him the appropriate credit. So it'll, it'll come to me. Put uh, it in the description. <laughs> yes. Question three. Uh, when it comes to sheltering out there, are you uh, in favor of tent, tarp, hammock, bivy, or hey, let's just cowboy camp out there in Colorado? I have done all of them actually, besides I have not bivy camped yet. Um, that's Hopefully I have an emergency bivy in my backpack at all times. Hopefully I never have to use it. That's probably the only time you'll catch me in a bivy. Um, but I'm a huge fan of tent camping. I actually grew up um, camping when I was a kid and there's just something really cozy about sleeping in a tent. Um, I have cowboy camped in the past and I've hammock camped and stuff too. Um, I'm a really cold sleeper. So that for me is just really uncomfortable for the most part. Specifically, cowboy camping is terrible for me. Um, if their stars are really good, then I would put myself through it. But um, yeah, hammock camping is great too. I actually just had a um, 
unplanned hammock camping backpacking experience um, last month because my sleeping pad deflated and thankfully I had a hammock with me, but my dog was like kind of sleeping on the sleeping pad and I had my partner in the tent with me as well. It was his birthday backpacking trip. So I didn't want to wake him up in the middle of the night and like make a big fuss. So I ended up just kind of crashing in the hammock, but it was so, so cold. Um, so yeah, tent, tent wow, camper that, right here. <laughs> you are very polite. Yeah, it was, you know, if it wasn't his birthday. <laughs> <laughs> you would have taken his sleeping pad and made him sleep on the ground. Yeah, right. But yeah, tent camping, especially I do a lot of solo camping and backpacking too. So it makes me feel a lot safer to sleep in a tent. Um, yeah. What do you think that is? I mean, it's just a, a thin a thin sheet of nylon. So or other honestly, for the longest time, I actually backpacked with a two-person uh, tent, even if I was solo camping. And that kind of made me feel a lot more at ease to where if somebody was passing by, it looked like maybe there were two people in that tent. It's a, a bigger tent. Um, so this summer, I actually just got like super comfortable with sleeping in just my own like one-person tent by myself. Um, which is great for weight and space and stuff like that. But yeah, I think it's just the fact that it's a little bit bigger and from the outside looking in, it looks like it could potentially be more than one person. Right. And that, you know, you, you bring up a, a fair point that um, women and men have slightly different experiences out there, right? As a, as a, as a guy out there, I would never think, you know, maybe I should take a two person tent to make it look like there's more of me. Uh, here, yeah. some, somebody with me. And so that's just kind of a, um, <clears throat> an aspect that, that guys, I don't think really think about, uh, but, yeah. but as a, as, as women hikers, uh, especially if you're going solo out there, I mean, that's, that's something you, that you're aware of, which is, oh yeah, it's, I think. It's yeah. It's always in the back of your head for yeah. sure. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a really bad experience one time backpacking solo. Um, I had actually left my, dog behind and I went out by myself. And a lot of times when I pack back solo, he was with me too. Um, I have a, a black lab named Gatsby and he's a huge adventure dog, but he doesn't like the super long distance stuff or higher inclines. Um, so I actually went out on a Friday after work and kind of started a little bit later in the day. And when I finally got my camp set up, I had hiked, you know, well enough off the trail, not too far, but enough to where I shouldn't have really seen people. It was kind of weird to come across anyone and had my own little secluded spot. Um, and I had just gotten my tent set up and my sleeping pad and all that stuff. And the sun had gone down, but it wasn't fully dark yet. Like you could still see a little bit. And all of a sudden this guy just kind of comes up out of nowhere and he didn't even say hi or anything to me. He just goes, Oh, where's your friends or where's your group? And the hair on the back of my neck stood up and I was, I just kind of instinctually lied. And I was like, oh, they're coming up right behind me. I was moving pretty quickly and, you know, got here first. And then I realized after that, that he he's hiking down and it's dark and he's about to pass and see that there's nobody else coming. There was only a few cars in the parking lot at that point when I got there. Um, and so I just felt so uncomfortable and I could have, you know, stayed there. I had bear, bear spray with me to protect myself if I needed it. Um, but I just felt so uncomfortable and there was no way I was going to sleep well that night. Um, so I actually ended up packing my entire tent, like camp up and hiking out and driving home. It was a late, late night. Um, but yeah, making that call. And so ever since then, it's really something that's in the back of my head to, 
you know, stay safe. And my goal at the end of the day, after every trip is to come home afterwards. So. Yeah, absolutely. And guys, let that be a lesson to you. If you, if, if you're out there and you encounter a solo female hiker, don't, don't say stuff or do stuff. That's just creepy. I mean, you, you, you may say something, may, may ask an innocent question, but realize what kind of impact that might have on, on uh, the hiker you're talking to. I mean, for sure. Yeah. He could have been totally her. harmless, but exactly. exactly. Yeah. He ended up ruining your night. Um, that's mm-hmm. why you got to think about how you come across out there. You certainly don't want to, don't want to do that. So. Yeah. Thank all you. Right. And Jason Alexander, as we all know, is George Costanzo on Seinfeld. He's the actor that plays George Costanzo, uh, the filmmaker and the director of Mile, Mile and a Half. And Jeff Garmeyer's latest uh, documentary is Jason Fitzpatrick. Jason. Ah, okay. It had three, okay. had three syllables. I was in the <laughs> You were so close. So close. So close. <laughs> all right. Question number four, uh, when it comes to your sleep system. Sleeping bag or quilt? Sleeping bag. I am a really cold sleeper, like I mentioned earlier. Um, and my sleeping bag is one of my favorite pieces of gear. I actually almost picked that for uh, the other question earlier when I said sleeping pad. Um, I have the Mountain Hardware Bishop Pass 15 degree sleeping pad, and I love it. I pretty much use it for nine months out of the year, 10 months out of the year. Um, and then when it's a little bit warmer in the summer months, I'll go down to a 25 degree bag, but I'm a pretty, pretty cold sleeper. So that's my go-to. Um, I actually did just get my partner, Sean, an enlightened equipment quilt for his birthday and he loves it. So, uh, definitely not against quilts, but I don't think they're for me. You know, more and more people are going the quilt direction and of the people that have quilts i think i swear 80 percent of them have enlightened equipment i mean that is a yeah they're great brand, real popular yep. brand out there yeah they're so awesome and their customer service is really good um his size actually wasn't perfect and so we were able to return it really quickly and uh they took really good care of us so huge fan of them okay question number five when it, how, when it comes to food out there do you prefer a stove do you <laughs> cold soak or are you stoveless so I have done all of them. Um, definitely more of a stove fan. Um, there's just something really comforting to me about eating a warm meal in the backcountry. And even in backpacking, I still will go kind of the dehydrated meal route to make it easy. Um, like I said, I'm a hiking guide and I'm outside all the time. So planning meals and stuff for backpacking is not something that I take a ton of time to do. But if I can just go, you know, pick something out downstairs, like we have like a big tub that will kind of stock up for the year for meals and stuff like that. Um, so I'm a huge fan of that. And then what else will I make? Something that I've actually recently been doing is pre-making ramen. So I'll go, I found this like higher protein ramen from Costco. I don't remember what it's called, but it's like a quinoa, like higher protein uh, ramen. And I'll grab some like dehydrated, dehydrated veggies and like sauces and like a veggie bouillon cube and just kind of like really make it fancy. And that's super good back there too. Um, and you can kind of prepare it and get it ready ahead of time. Um, fancy so yeah, I like it. Big fan of stoves. Anything that's warm is really nice when the sun went down and now you're cold for the rest of the night. <laughs> It also is great to eat a warm meal and that actually will keep you warm for the rest of the night by like storing a warm meal in your core. Um, it's a nice little hack if you're a cold sleeper. Nice. Now, Shelby, if you ever do a through hike, you, you might come out with the fancy ramen as your, as your <laughs> fancy, 
fancy ramen. Ooh, okay. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> All right. Question number six, is life better above or below the tree line? And there's only one correct answer if you live in Colorado. That's very true. Um, I love this question. It's really easy for me. Um, definitely above the tree line. You are correct. And um, honestly, if you would have asked me that like four or five years ago, my answer would have been totally different because I was really afraid above the trees. Um, it was really intimidating to me to be in that kind of exposure. Um, and I I was very comfortable in the trees because I'm from Ohio originally, and that's all that there is there is trees. Um, but I love the Alpine. It's an amazing place to be able to slow down and really be present and um, just soak up the incredible world that we're so lucky to live in. Um, and it's also where I've experienced the most growth. So um, being in the Alpine, like I said, is really intimidating because there's a lot of exposure there. Um, and with that comes, you know, facing your fears that pop up um, when that exposure, you know, kind of starts intimidating you. So you have the choice to turn around from those fears. You can keep going. And there had been a lot of times that I turned around, um, like, honestly, for like a year, I was just terrified because I was solo hiking and the Alpine's dangerous and blah, blah, blah. Um, but at one point I decided to, that I was holding myself back and to kind of keep pushing a little bit further. And, um, I don't know, I've had some really incredible experiences above the tree line. So that will be forever. One of my favorite places. Okay. Now you said that's where you've, you've experienced the most growth as a, as a guide or as a human or both as a human, um, or both, I guess, but, um, really as a human, I can relate, like I hike so much. And so I can relate almost everything that I experience on the trail or off the trail um, into real life and the real world. And so some of these fears um, like self-doubt and, you know, a lack of confidence that I'm capable of doing some of the things that requires or that is required of you to be able to be in the Alpine. Um, and those kind of really faced me head on every time that I went out there Um so being able to move through that and, you know, keep on trucking all the way through and, you know, till I get to the top has been a really great way for me to grow through those experiences. Yeah. Fantastic. There's something about um, pushing yourself in the outdoors, whether it's, you know, running, trail running, long distance running, long distance hiking, guiding, um, doing the hard stuff out there you know, it really applies. You can take the lessons learned from those experiences and apply, apply them to your everyday life. And I think, like you said, it, uh, it really instills a lot of confidence. For sure. Yeah. I, um, hiking has been the number one thing that has built up my confidence as a woman and as a human and, um, as a guide too, for sure. Okay. Question number seven, last question in the survey, what's more important pack weight or luxury items? Hmm. Um, I'm honestly going to go with pack weight just because I know this is probably surprising to you, right? I can see it on your face. Yeah. I I thought you were going the other way for sure. Um, I think from a safety perspective, pack weight is so much more important. Um, I have been that person that's carrying like 45 to 50 pounds. Like when I first started backpacking, I actually didn't have, um, you know, any ultralight gear, anything like that. Everything that I had was either used, like purchase used, um, or very, very on sale. So probably not the greatest quality. 
or handed down to me. Um, and so I kind of started backpacking with a really, really heavy backpack and it was miserable. I mean, there were definitely times I think our brains do a really great job of blocking out the pain and like the terrible memories of that. But if I really try to remember they're there and, uh, it's not fun. I can still feel like the bruises in my hips from carrying way too much weight and just putting all that pressure there. Um, so from a safety perspective and just, a, a I think a comfort perspective, like you're going to be a more comfortable hiker if you're carrying less weight at the end of the day. Yeah. The mind is, is wonderful that way you forget the bad stuff and you remember the good stuff. That's, that's actually, uh, I don't know if it's been proven. I'm going to say, I'm going to say that that is the, the, reason why we have this concept of the good old days. You know, you look back 10, 15 years ago and you're remembering the good times. You, you've forgotten the bad stuff. And so it always appears uh, <laughs> better than it actually was. And so oh, it's so, so true. <laughs> yeah. This is the reason that uh, we have triple crowners. You know, they've done more than one long trail. This is the reason uh, women have more than one child because they forgot <laughs> the, 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 everything they went through. And they, yes, it's so true. Yeah. Yep. So that's I mean, awesome, awesome point. I think it also depends on how long you're going out for. I'll make myself really, really uncomfortable for an overnight trip. But if I'm going out for, you know, three plus days, weight is a huge factor at that point because you have a lot more food to carry and food is heavy. So, yeah. Right. I had a guest on... I think probably early in season four, who really put it well. She said that she really got comfortable being uncomfortable. And once she was comfortable being uncomfortable, it was just easy. I love that. It's so true. And the more you get out there, like the more you put yourself in those uncomfortable positions, the easier it is to get uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I feel like you can really just kind of surrender to that. And you're an, uh, kind of unstoppable at that point. You're a force to be reckoned with if you are comfortable with that. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, I've got to do some math here. I got to put it through the John freaking mirror algorithm. Uh, I'm know, nervous. Yeah. <laughs> carry the two. Gonna gonna multiply that by pi. Gonna divide <laughs> by three. No, I'm sorry. Divide by root three. And <laughs> I've got to adjust for the wind and the temperature on top of a 14er in Colorado. And I come out with a solid 63. Hey, you know what? If I would have guessed, I would have put, I would have said 60. So I'll take it. <laughs> it's it's a it's, it's a pretty proven formula. It's pretty accurate. You had to dock me for that triple crown, huh? <laughs> yep. Just because you're thinking about it. Otherwise, nope. you're in the seventh. Okay, that's fair. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. Hey, Shelby or uh, Fancy Ramen. Uh, before we get too far <laughs> down the trail, let's back up a little bit. You mentioned you were from Ohio. Tell us about uh, your childhood growing up. Plenty of sports and hobbies, brothers and sisters. And how did you get involved in the whole outdoor adventure cult? Yeah. Um, all right. Big question. So I grew up, I was born in uh, Ypsilanti, Michigan, and then I moved to Northeastern Ohio when I was four. So spent pretty much my entire life there, um, was a total trader and went to Ohio State. Go Bucks. <laughs> my brother hates it. I'm uh, the oldest of three. And, um, actually the Ohio state Michigan game is this weekend and he doesn't know it, but I just sent him a picture of him wearing Ohio state stuff and said, go bucks. And he's going to be really mad about it because he's oh, a Michigan wow. fan. I love it. <laughs> Great. Um, but yeah, so Northeastern no, Ohio, hang on, hang on, hang on a sec, Shelby. You were born in Michigan, but you moved to Ohio when you were four, you're the oldest. 
Yeah. Why, why is your brother hanging on to Michigan? I can't imagine he spent a whole lot of time there. He did not. That's a great question. You're so smart, Doc. Um, he got on real fast. Um, no, I think he actually is just a very stubborn person. I love my brother to death, but he's a stubborn person and he just wanted to be the person in Ohio that was a Michigan fan. Oh, he's <laughs> contrarian then. He, he's, yes. He's looking for, for confrontations. Okay, got it. Got it. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Um, I actually grew up just south of Lake Erie, and the outdoor world is honestly huge there. People spend a lot of time in the lake in the summertime, and um, hunting's really big there, fishing and camping. Um, very different type of camping than in Colorado. People don't really backpack there, at least that I know of. Um, so I did spend a lot of time outdoors, but it was very different than what I do now. Um in terms of like sports and stuff, I played soccer and basketball a little bit, but my main sport growing up was actually mixed martial arts. Um, and I did that for eight years and taught it for a few years as well. Um, and then I stopped that when I went to college and I didn't really even start hiking until after I graduated from college, honestly. Um, let's talk about yeah. mixed martial then- arts for a second. Okay. I figured you might have a question about it. Yes. So I know there are different disciplines of martial arts, but when it comes to mixed martial arts, I mean, what is the, is there an, is there a prevalent um, discipline or is it just kind of a a mix of everything? How does that work? Um, It really depends on who exactly you learned through. Um, So for us, it was a lot of like sparring and um, uh, grappling and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it really just depends on like where exactly you're going. Um, I went to a small studio in Brunswick, Ohio. I don't even know if they're still around anymore, but um, they had learned from like somebody overseas like years and years ago and were super, super involved in the sport. Um, so in terms of like who I could learn from, they were kind of the best. So we did a lot of everything and we even did some kickboxing too. So I actually taught kickboxing classes for a few years as well when I was doing that. Uh, did your brother do this too? Yeah, our entire family did it actually. We were like a weird family. There were a lot of families there. Um, but I I started it when I was in fourth grade and then did all or did that until I was a senior in high school, was when I stopped. So I did it for pretty much my entire like childhood. Now family our entire family did. Awesome. <laughs> With your family. I mean, do you have an octagon set up in the backyard? <laughs> or for Thanksgiving or, or for Christmas and hey, let's go for it, guys. No, but we did we did all kinds of like different competitions and stuff like that, which is really cool. Um, we were all in different age groups, so we never really did it together. It was something that we kind of shared, but we still had our own individual time, which was really cool. Um, and yeah, they we did a lot of different stuff. We actually did like weapons classes and stuff too. So I um, taught nunchucks and like a staff, like a long wooden staff that you kind of like strike things with. Um, yeah, I never actually got my black belt. I was pretty close to it. So I, one of my goals for 2023 is to go back and get my black belt. You know what, the more, I, the more I learn about you, Shelby, <laughs> the, the luckier that guy was that he didn't come back up uh, after asking you that question on the, on the- <laughs> He could have, he would have had his very uh, true. He had his clock cleaned, I think. So, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I'm and, glad he didn't. I'm, I'm glad that worked out. Okay. Yes. Is your brother also into outdoor activities like you? Um, 
you know, I'm kind of the, out of the three of us, I'm the only outdoorsy one now, which is really interesting. We all grew up doing camping and stuff like that, but um, my brother kind of fell more into the sports side of things. And then my sister kind of fell more into like the crafty side of stuff. So I guess I'm the black sheep, but my dad's very proud of me. <laughs> nice. I was He's a hunter nice. and fisherman. I think that's fascinating that when there are multiple kids who grew up in the same household, same, same part of the country doing the same kinds of activities. And one of them becomes a, 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 a through hiker, a triple crowner, um, a, a, a mountain guide, you know, how, how does that work? How, what that you, you know, people, I guess they're all, everybody, everybody's different, but, uh, yeah, well, it's interesting too, because I didn't stick with it forever. I fell out of it for quite some time. Like when I was in school, um, in college, I, I was a little bit of a partier, I'd say, and be just being outside was not something that I really needed or had any desire for. And it wasn't until I um, graduated from college and actually got a Gatsby, my dog. And when I got him, I was just really motivated to be outside with him because I saw how happy it made him and just being out there with, with him made me really happy. Um, and so that's kind of really when I fell in love with hiking. And it's interesting because now, now that I'm a hiking guide, I would honestly say that hiking kind of found me. Like it was something that I didn't even know I needed at the time, but it, in a lot of senses, like saved my life. Now you are the second person in the last few interviews that has confessed that it was your dog that got you <laughs> uh, more into the outdoors. I think somebody else said that very recently too. I'm looking, looking through my notes to see if I can. That's so funny. Uh, if they're from Colorado, it'd make a lot of sense. We all love dogs here. <laughs> Now back to the college parties. Um, would you ever just for fun, you know, get some guy in a joint lock, make him make him scream? For <laughs> oh my gosh, the fact that you asked that question, I actually have. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a weird party trick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so <laughs> hey, funny. Shelby, this guy's never met you. Let's do it to this guy here. Yeah. <laughs> nice. nice. Yeah. <laughs> now is uh, guiding, is that your primary source of income? Is that how you pay the bills? Mm -hmm. Or is that a side job? Um, it is. Um, no, guiding is my primary source of income. Um, guiding and Instagram, I guess I do both of those kind of full time. Um, and then I do also work part time for a podcast. I kind of do all their like scheduling and stuff, ironically enough. Um, so that's a very steady source of income for me, just like on the side as well. So I have my hands on a lot of different hats, I would say. Um, but yeah, I've been guiding for um, a couple of years now and mostly in primarily in Rocky Mountain National Park right now. And I'm looking to expand that a little bit further for 2023. Um, but yeah, I absolutely love guiding. And my the reason that I got into guiding, honestly, was because I have made so many mistakes myself solo hiking. And I saw so many people like once I kind of did the research on my own and learned what not to do. I saw a lot of other people on the trails making the exact same mistakes. And um, I actually was working in hospital, like at a hospital doing Alzheimer's and traumatic brain injury research. So I've kind of gone like all over the place. Um, and then COVID hit. And my job description kind of changed quite a bit. I was working with patients beforehand. Um, and that's when I was living in Colorado. Um, like shortly after I'd moved here, I started that job. And once COVID hit, I was working from home, not working with patients as much. And I just didn't 
really want to be doing that forever. It kind of brought up the question of, you know, what do I want to do for the rest of my life? And I found so much joy out of hiking and I had dedicated so much time to learning how to, you know, do it safely on my own and being frustrated, um, not frustrated at these people for, you know, making mistakes, but, you know, almost frustrated for them um, because I had made them. And like, I know that they don't have to make these, you know, same mistakes that I had. So one day I was actually on a a really long distance hike for the day and it kind of just hit me that I could be a hiking guide. And so I started looking into organizations in Colorado and noticed that no one really decided to teach people. Like they just, you know, took you for a walk and, my whole goal was to empower people to, you know, get out on the trail and, you know, be inspired to get outside, but also feel safe and know how to safe and educated to know what to do out on the trails and then feel confident to, you know, continue on their own adventures afterwards. Now, when you said that you were, uh, you work for a podcast doing the scheduling, I was going to try and steal you away <laughs> until you mentioned that you were paid for that. I have, I have no extra income to give you. So I apologize. <laughs> not a lot of cash flow in this, in this gig. There's not, <laughs> I feel that. Yeah. And, but, but what you just, what you just listed and went through, you're, you're a real Renaissance woman. I mean, we're talking MMA, we're talking guiding, we're talking patient <laughs> care social media influencer, podcast scheduler. I mean, you, you've done a lot. You're well-rounded. I like to uh, throw myself into things and figure it out along the way. I've learned that I'm really good at that, as uncomfortable as it may be. Nice. Comfortable being uncomfortable. Now, you you're, you're gui- when you're guiding folks out there, are, is it primarily uh, women or is it is it is it both both genders, couples, solos? <laughs> Both genders, you would honestly be surprised. I probably guide 60, 40 more men than women. Um, That's really interesting and surprising to me, but um, I think, I don't, I don't honestly don't know why there's more men than women that I guide. Um, Reality or the reality is, is when I guide men, it's different problems that we're solving than when I guide women. Um, when I guide women, we're working through a lot of the like mental things and emotional barriers that you kind of have to overcome when you're hiking, um, fear and confidence and stuff like that. And for the men, they really want to learn about backpacking and, um, just really like immersing themselves into this outdoor world in a safe way. Um, and I think with my Instagram, I'm able to kind of show that I do know a good amount of that. So it's a, fun and quick way to learn as much as you possibly can in a short period of time. Yeah. And before the emails start coming in and, and people chiding me, I guess I shouldn't <laughs> say both genders. I should probably say all genders. So there you go. Yes. Side. Yes. Yep. Fell into Everybody it. is, everyone can be guided. That's right. We're Anyone can go hiking. Hiking for all, all, all the people. All are welcome. That's right. Yep. yep. Outdoors <laughs> is for everybody. All right. You got it. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to hear about some of your adventures out there guiding some, maybe some of your mistakes uh, that you learned from and, and how you're preventing them uh, from, from being passed on to other folks. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. From the back country to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water. Using time-released liposome technology, 
topical insect repellents and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going, knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. Six Moon Designs has been innovating ultralight backpacking gear for the past 20 years. With a wide range of products ranging from ultralight shelters to backpacks and accessories like their extensive line of trekking umbrellas, Six Moon Designs is sure to have a great piece of gear for your needs. With the company philosophy being that gear should aid one's experience, not define it, Six Moon Designs thinks the more time people spend outside the natural world, the better off this world will be. And remember, go wild, live young. This episode is sponsored by Jolly Gear. Are you tired of compromising between the ventilation of a button-down and the full protection of a sun hoodie? With the Triple Crown button-down, you can have the best of both. Plus, their fun standout patterns will have you the talk of the trail. Visit them at jollygear.com. Through hiker owned Jolly Gear, where fun meets functional. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your pod- podcast to Spotify, and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. And welcome back. We are talking to Shelby Mann, Colorado hiking guide. And now we're going to get into the meat and potatoes of the podcast. And that is stories. Mm -hmm. We love our stories, especially if they're type two fun type stories. So yeah, (laughs) you know what type two fun is Shelby? Oh yeah. I live for that kind of fun. (laughs) Not while it's happening though. (laughs) Very good. (laughs) Great, great job explaining it right there. If anybody out there is wondering what, what's type two fun. So in your experience out there in Colorado, or is all of your experience in Colorado or have you, have you had other experiences elsewhere? Um, I've kind of been a little bit all over. Um, I haven't spent any time like internationally yet. That's going to be a next year thing for me. Um, but I love Colorado so much and there's so much to see here that I would say, majority of my hiking has been here for sure. Okay. And have you encountered any type two fun in those adventures? <laughs> uh, yeah, once or twice, we can say. Um, gosh, one of my favorite stories that kind of still haunts me to this day that, yeah, we'll get into it. So 
one of my friends who does a lot of longer distance days with me, um, will try to average like, you know, 12 plus miles a day. And he asked if I wanted to go do this hike and I was supposed to go backpacking that weekend. Um, when was this? It was this past March of 2022. Um, so there was so much snow on the trail that I was supposed to go backpacking in. Uh, I was in Aspen, Colorado, and my entire group bailed on me. They were like, we don't want to go backpacking 18 miles in the snow, so we're not going. And I really didn't want to go to do that trip by myself. It would have been cold and lonely and not fun. So I decided to stay home as well. And so my friend Matt asked me if I wanted to go do this hike. And um, the all trails had said it was like 16 miles, which if you've heard before, all trails sometimes lies about the distance and a lot can be varied with that, with that as it was in this case. Um, so it was this Alpine Lake hike in Rocky Mountain National Park. And we were going to start at... I think 7 a.m. was when we started. It was kind of like a later start because it was supposed to rain and slash snow until 9 a.m. So we kind of figured we'd start a little bit later and try to not get soaking wet in the rain the whole time. So it gets there. It is dumping snow. <laughs> and we decided, obviously, we just decided to start. Um, if you turn around because of, or if you decide not to go on a hike because of weather in Colorado, you're going to never go hiking because there's always going to be weather in the forecast. Um, 9 a.m. comes. We had gotten a good amount of mileage in and still snowing. Um, the ground was actually like covered in snow at that point, which there was no snow on the ground when we started. Um, and when we got there, we couldn't see a thing. So we had hiked, let's see, nine and a half miles one way up to this lake and the whole time we we're just like cursing at each other it's it was miserable like we couldn't find the trail it was late season um winter or like early spring and so there were wind drifts of like snow everywhere and uh we were kind of following somebody's snowshoeing tracks the snow was so deep we were hiking through snow like past our almost up to our knees um, and we'd been following someone's tracks for quite a while. And then all of a sudden they just stopped and his tracks were no longer. And he kind of, it seemed like he had just decided to turn around because we were miserable. So I'm sure whoever, whoever's tracks we were following was also miserable. Um, and we were kind of just like bushwhacking through like all this brush and it, it was just terrible. Um, but we had hiked so far, I think it, at the point that we were hiking through like brush and stuff we had gone eight and a half miles. And so it was kind of either turn around and be miserable because we turned around and didn't see anything. We had hiked through just trees the entire time or keep going. Um, and it seemed like the clouds kind of maybe were clearing just a little bit, but it literally had just kept snowing the entire time. And it was so cold and windy. Um, we were prepared for a winter hike, but not that wet of a winter hike. So I had like my rain jacket and all that stuff, plenty of layers. Um, but I didn't have like actual snow pants. I had snow gaiters if you're familiar with those. And so they were just kind of covering my boots and my boots were soaked. Like my gaiters are Gore-Tex, like everything is just soaked and it's not like I don't have good gear. Like it should have kept me dry, but it was so wet that there was nothing we could do. And so we finally get to this lake and 
there's just a cloud. Like you can't even see the lake. It's completely covered in a cloud. So we basically walk up in, in snow and there's just white everywhere. And it was so sad. I wanted to cry. Um, we didn't even have time to like sit and eat a snack because we thought it was going to be 16 miles. And here we are 9.5 miles in like an extra mile and a half, which doesn't seem like a lot, but when you gotta like walk back all the way, it's still, you know, extra time. Um, and we started late and it's March. So daylight savings time hasn't happened yet. And it's going to be dark at, you know, four 30. So we kind of had to get cooking and, I literally only had time to change my socks and I there's actually a video of me like dumping just all this water from snow out of my boot and yeah type two fun afterwards I'm like yeah that was so fun we hiked 19 and a half miles and broke our personal mileage record for the day but we were miserable the entire time like I think there was maybe five minutes where we were having like actual fun and it's not you know we were enjoying each other's company and stuff and hiking and being outside. And there's a reason that we kept going because we were having enough fun to keep hiking. Um, but it was just one of those days where you're like, you know, it doesn't matter how often you come out here. You're just never going to, you're never going to have like the perfect day, even if no matter how bad you want it, it's just always going to be those days where it rains the entire time. <laughs> yeah. And there was no payoff at the end with the, the lake being covered by, by a cloud. Right. I mean, that's no, no. Hey, let's go back to the snowshoe or the snow the snowshoe tracks that you were following. Now, when you started, oh you my started, gosh, there's no snow on the ground, right? No snow on the ground. There's um, snow, so if you think up. about hiking in the mountains, like yeah, so if you think about hiking in the mountains, if we're hiking, you know, nine point five miles, we're going up a good amount of elevation gain in that hike. I think it was maybe um a little over three thousand all the way up or something like that. So if you're starting at 8,000 feet or 9,000 feet, and then you're going up to 12, there's going to be a huge difference in terrain. Um, we actually started in the trails like fully grassy, and then you kind of start getting up and it's an alpine lake. So just the amount that you kind of walk through in that is insane. And we had actually walked through a severe burn area from the Cameron peak fire um, in 2020 in Colorado. So that was like a whole other thing too. It, everything was just wet and when you have, when you're walking through like a fire burn like that, um, the ground is not normal. Like the, the trail wasn't really there in certain spots and there wasn't really a ground. It was just ash. And so water, as it was snowing, water was just kind of like moving through everything. Um, yeah. And then we finally started hitting snow maybe after five miles or so but once we once we had the snow the snow is there and march in colorado at higher elevations there's still a ton of snow um we still we don't really see it all melt until end of june here for the most part so early march there was a lot of snow there and we were hiking over some of the drifts were like four or five feet tall like bigger than me um which ended up making our our hike much longer as well now, some of our listeners are, are listening in and thinking, hiking in snow, that sounds like <laughs> fun. That'd be beautiful. So pretty. But if you're if you're post holing into your, you know, your mid thigh or above your knee, it is it is torturous. It is yeah. Not. And it was just it was wet snow. And 
wet snow in other places is is really fun like i grew up in ohio and that's all that there is is wet snow and it's a blast because it packs down really nicely but this was all slushy so like snowshoes weren't really helping you still kind of sunk and the amount of work that we had to put our bodies through to get up there was just kind of obnoxious for the hike that it was um but we still talk about it to this day of like how fun it was um so i wouldn't say it was a a bad day by any means, but it just definitely wasn't what we expected. It still kind of haunts me that I don't know what that lake's, lake looks like. And I hiked 19.5 miles to see that or to like get there and see it. Well, you're just going to have to do it again. I know. And, that and makes me so sad though. Was it, was it fun just because it was so absurd? I mean, what, what you had. To it do. was. Yeah. I mean, at, what, at some point, like one of my mentors um, a long time ago told me you can either curse the wind or dance with it. And so at some point, like you kind of just got to surrender to the fact that you're going to be miserable. And we knew we were going to get wet. It wasn't going to get any better. We kept out or we held out hope that it would and the clouds would clear, but it never did. And so just being like miserable there together made that experience a very fun time. I like that. You can curse the wind or dance with it. That's uh, right. It's so true. Yeah, that's great. (laughs) great. Now, was that Lost Lake? That was Lost Lake. Yeah. Um, Lost Lake and Rocky Mountain National Park. Got it. Got it. There's a lot of Lost Lakes in Colorado. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine. Now, any any other type two adventure out there? Type two fun? Um, I I have a really great story. From Naive Shelby many, many years ago. So any like future clients listening to this, I just want to preface that this happened a long time ago. And I've learned a lot since then. Um, But I think this is a great story for especially people that live in Colorado or travel here and stuff because of avalanche danger. And I think a lot of people don't realize like how severe that is and how seriously it should be taken. So when I first, um, shortly after I moved here, it was like kind of my first full season um, or full full winter in Colorado. And I've been doing a lot of solo hiking and stuff and found a friend that wanted to kind of help me get into a little bit more technical terrain that I had been doing or had been in before, um, stepping just a little bit further outside of my comfort zone than I was comfortable putting myself in by my, all alone. And so we ended up doing the summit of Mount Flora. It's a 13,000 foot mountain in Colorado. And that was in mid-February. So kind of like still mid-winter in Colorado for the most part. And when you're up in Alpine like that, when you're super high up, the wind is a huge factor. So we had summited the mountain. Um, It was, I think it's like a 6.5 mile round trip hike. So really short for the most part. Um, we kind of ended up turning it into a much longer day, but, um, yeah, so we summited the mountain and that was kind of the easy part. I had snowshoes with me and the person that I was hiking with was on skis. And so they were actually going to ski down and we both had dogs. So I had Gatsby and they had their dog and we made it to the summit. And then we kind of just like split ways and decided like we'd meet close enough to the parking lot. They would be able to see me as I hiked down because they were kind of going to ski a different way. And like I said, when you're hiking in um, the Alpine like that, the wind plays such a big factor to where the trail is so packed down by the wind that you, 
and a, a lot of times you actually can't see where your tracks are. Like you can put your foot down and nothing happens. Like the ground doesn't move. There's not even like, you know, the ice doesn't move or anything. It just is flat, normal ground. And so I had micro spikes on and I'm trying to figure out where the trail is because it was so wind packed at that point. And I saw these seven skiers and some dogs skiing up. And so I kind of just looked down and was like, oh, that must be the trail. Um, fun fact, if you are hiking with a partner, you should both have your maps downloaded because we had a map downloaded, but it wasn't on my phone. <laughs> so you're both responsible for that. And if I had had my map, this probably wouldn't have happened. I would have been able to pull up the trail and see and been okay. Um, but I ended up just hiking along to where these skiers were with my dog and it just consistently got steeper and steeper and steeper, like really quickly. And all of a sudden I went from hiking to like scaling this mountain to where my hands are, I'm, I'm facing the mountain and my hands are like gripping it with my gloves. And I'm literally sidestepping with my snowshoes in like kicking into the snow just to be able to like make a path because it was that steep. And my dog is next to me kind of freaking out and getting really close to me. And so first off, naive Shelby, there should have been a red flag that like I shouldn't have been going when it was getting that steep. Um, but I kept heading towards them thinking that like, you know, maybe this was right. Absolutely was not. And as we're moving these ice slabs are kind of just like moving down like smaller pieces of big chunks of snow. And what I didn't realize was there had been an avalanche in that same area of like two to three weeks prior. So I was in like a post avalanche field and that's why everything was kind of just slabbed out. And I look up, I see my partner just kind of staring down at me and I'm wondering why he's just looking at me the way that he was. And little did I know he was just like terrified that, you know, I was going to start falling or something was going to happen. And then I'm kind of thinking like, yeah, we should, we should turn back and start going this other way. Well, all of a sudden Gatsby takes one step closer to me and the, the snow that we're on literally separates from the mountain and just starts sliding down like super fast because it was very, very steep. And so we're going down like 30 plus miles an hour down this mountain and I'm facing the mountain. So I can't even see where we're going right now. So I had to turn myself over with my big backpack on and my snowshoes and everything. And I'm using my snowshoes to try to break into the snow. So I'm literally just digging them in as hard as I can, like tensing my legs up as hard as possible and just like holding the, the mountain like next to me and like grabbing the snow with my fingers, trying to just slow myself down. And Gatsby's running behind me thinking this is the best thing ever that he's ever done. And he's having the time of his life. And I'm trying to like stay conscious. <laughs> um, I finally was able to stop from my snowshoes, like just breaking in so hard to the ground or to the snow. And I sat there for a good two minutes, like trying to catch my breath because I was hyperventilating and just so scared that that had just happened. And I look up, my friend's still standing up there with the skis looking at me. It's almost like he was just kind of waiting for something bad to happen because of where I was and he just kind of knew. And so he's, he took a good like five or six minutes to actually get down to me because he couldn't ski down to where I just was, or he could have triggered another, another avalanche like on top of us. So he skied around, 
gave me his ski poles and I'm telling you like every step that I took just pieces of ice kept sliding down and at that point my legs had been so shaky like my whole body was shaking I was so scared and just trying to like stay as calm as possible which I'm very grateful I was able to do and we ended up making it to this point but by that point we were so far from the from the top like I had just come from the top of this mountain and I slid down a good 150 yards it was insane so we ended up hiking like 16 miles that day it was supposed to be a six and a half mile hike and post holing the whole time I was crying like there were so many times where I just stopped and cried and I was like is there anyone we can call like we had no garments or anything I had no idea what a garment was at that point um and yeah. So I guess long story short, keep on trekking. And the only way out is through because I, I couldn't have stopped. Like we had to keep going. Um, and it was absolutely miserable. But now that I look back, um, I have gone back and summited that mountain a couple more times, thankfully. Um, so kind of got past the terrible feeling that it, it left me with, but yeah, when I look back on that experience, there's so many things that I did wrong that I just didn't know any better. And if I would have taken a little bit of time to like ask more questions and if the person that I was with would have, you know, helped me a little bit more too, um, it would have, you know, not ended so disastrously and we were safe and fine, but I'll tell you the bruises on my knees and like my body after that day was so miserable. I couldn't walk the next day. I was so sore. Wow. Naive show learned a lot of lessons on that particular trip. Oh yeah. That's how she does it. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I have to tell you the truth. I, I got into a bit of psychoanalysis of myself as you were telling that story, because as you're telling that story and you're, you're, you're sliding down the mountain and before you tell me how Gatsby's doing, she's having the, is it a he or she, he, 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 he's having the time of his life, right? Thinking this is the greatest adventure, whatever. And before you said that though, I, I found myself more worried for the dog than for you. And I, I'm going, what does that say about me as a person that I, that I, I, I more worried about the dog than I am, than I am about Shelby. And then I, I got to, well, you know, Shelby's telling me the story. So I, I obviously know that she made it. She's okay. Um, I'm glad yep. he had time. so much fun. The smile on his face was primo. I will say that those dogs after that day were way more sore than we were. Um, they kept laying down and it's very unlike Gatsby to just decide to stop, but his paws were getting really cold. I didn't have, like we planned for six and a half miles. So I didn't have like booties or anything to keep his paws warm. And I kind of just had to keep rubbing them with my hands to like every so often. Um, so another lesson is just, have your 10 essentials and like be a little bit extra prepared in the winter because even if I didn't make all those mistakes, who knows if that still could have somehow happened. Um, like things come up in the mountains all the time. So having a few extra things on you just in case is always a good idea, especially if you have a dog. Okay. So what would naive Shelby whisper? I'm sorry. No, the other way around. What would experienced seasoned Shelby whisper into the ear of naive <laughs> Shelby prior going on to that trip? Oh, so many things. <laughs> um, I would have started with telling her to download a map because I think that would have eliminated the problem altogether. 
Um, we obviously hiked up, so we should have been able to safely hike down with, you know, how busy that trail was and stuff. Um, and then honestly ask more questions. I think I was so excited about going on this like big winter adventure for the first time. Like that was my first winter 13er that I'd ever done. And I just had so excitement around the fact that I wasn't asking questions of how I should prepare myself and, um, hiking by yourself versus with a group or with one other person is very different. So when I go hiking by myself, I do the, go the extra mile and, you know, do those things to prepare versus when I went out with this more experienced hiker, I kind of relied on them a little bit and that wasn't fair to them. And it, it wasn't really fair to them because I didn't really even tell them that that's what I was doing, um, either. So yeah, I learned a lot that day. (laughs) A lot of lessons, a lot of lessons. (laughs) That's fantastic. Any other uh, big stories like that you'd like to like to share with us? Hmm. Um, one other short story that is another naive Shelby story, um, kind of similar and snow related as well. Um, it was my. It was actually coincidentally like four months prior to when that happened, and we had gotten our first big snowstorm in Colorado. It was November, like very early, early November, and. I had done all this hiking and um, mental health is something that I kind of struggle with. So hiking is a place that I can really take control of that and feel good. And I had so much growth and good experiences with hiking through like the spring and the summer that year and that fall that I didn't really want to let the winter stop me from continuing to get outside. So first big snowfall, hadn't had any snowshoes or anything like that yet. Um, and I took Gatsby on a little solo hike. I did have my map downloaded um, and I was like pretty prepared. However, I didn't have a like backup battery and it was really, really cold that day. So my phone actually died and I didn't have a map and compass with me. So we, we had made it there, um, like made it to our destination. But then on the way back, we were kind of like following somebody else's snow trail and I realized at one point that we were lost. Like the person's trail that I was following was lost. And I looked down and there were just tracks everywhere in the snow. Like they were just kind of pacing all over the place, which was an absolute mess because I couldn't really figure out where to go from there. Like there were just tracks everywhere. So it was really hard to figure that out. And so I pulled my phone out to look at my map and my phone's on 1% and because it was so cold outside and my map had been running like in navigation mode the entire time we were out there. And we had started a little bit later in the day um, just because I, I got out later. So it was going to be getting dark in the next like hour or so. Like the sun was definitely starting to set. And so I told Gatsby, I like started kind of pat- panicking a little bit because I was a very new hiker still, especially solo hiking in the mountains and stuff. And in a situation like that, I just hadn't really been in something like that before. So I was like, Gatsby, go find the trail, <laughs> like go find it. And he is, he's so funny. Like anytime we're in a situation like that, he is so not helpful. And you'd think a black lab would be on it. He's trying to like play hide and seek behind trees with me and totally not concerned about the fact that we're lost and it's getting dark outside and my phone's basically dead and I have no service. Um, Gatsby has no situational awareness. He does not. He so does not. He thinks everything's an adventure, Um, which I guess it is in a sense, but 
um yeah live like gatsby guys <laughs> live like gatsby <laughs> nice so how did you get yourself out of that? I mean, that, that's so scary. Situation. We ended up, I ended up just kind of thinking for a second. I had to like stop because I don't know. I just couldn't think super clearly. So I had to stop and think for a moment and kind of like figure out where I was, look at the terrain and um, try to orient myself without a map and compass. And I realized that like at that point that I really just had to hike down. So I was in all these trees, which was a little bit disorienting. And I think if a lot of times, like if you're in the Alpine, you can see down and you can see where you have to go way easier than when you're getting up. But when you're in the trees, that's a lot more difficult. So I ended up just like hiking down and uh, we ended up like sliding through trees and stuff because there was a, it was a really big snowfall and I wasn't really prepared for that. So um, I had cotton leggings on and didn't bring like enough water and like extra snacks and stuff like that. So I was actually starting to kind of feel like the effects of the cold and walking through all that brush from being lost. I had actually like torn holes in my leggings, like in my pants. So yeah, I was starting to get pretty cold. Um, and I ended up just like sliding down on my butt a good amount to try to like get down as quickly as possible because hiking through that much snow going down when you don't have snowshoes or anything is kind of hard, especially if you're not on a normal trail or anything. And I eventually just hit this like kind of open meadow area. And I figured if I just kept walking the direction that I knew my car was, I'd get there eventually. And I ended up finding the trail. Um, but yeah, that was a good lesson. That was actually a lightly traffic trail that I hadn't been on before. And there was no one else there when I got there. So a lot of problems could have happened if uh, we didn't, you know, make our way out. And I think that's another good lesson is like, try to try to solve your own problems and, you know, be self-reliant. You can't necessarily just hit a Garmin and expect that that's going to solve your problem because then you're going to have to wait and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, we ended up making it back to the car and like literally just when I got back to the car, it had gotten dark outside. So crazy timing. Wow. That I is... decided to call out of work the next day because I was very stressed. That is nerve wracking. <laughs> and I guess it just shows that you are an expert glissader. I mean, you you spend a lot of time on your on your backside going down mountains in the snow. Oh, yeah. And now I have an ice axe. I've learned. <laughs> nice. Nice. Now, if you don't mind, I want to go back because you, you said that you were struggling with mental health issues mm -hmm. and you don't, I mean, you see, this is a good lesson for everybody in that um, you seem very well-adjusted, very confident. Uh, you're out there in the outdoors leading other people and yet uh, you had this struggle. And so I think it's a, a lesson for all of us that you, you can't judge a book by its cover. You can't tell what's going on under the surface uh, with people. And so for sure, I'm not sure even what the question yeah. is that I ask other than, than it, it, you just, you, you, I was surprised by that. Well, yeah. And I can add to that. Like everyone's on their own journey. So for me, like, while that might be true on the outside looking in every time that I go on a solo hike, I get scared. Every time that I go on a hike in the winter, there's a little part of me that's nervous or at least a little part that's scared. Um, and so me getting out and doing these things, I'm conquering those fears and those anxieties every single time. And that allows me to be a better human and show up in the world a lot better too. Um, yeah. You never know what somebody's going through. 
Absolutely. Hey, um, Shelby, what would you say is an underrated part of Colorado that really doesn't get enough attention out there? I know, I know you have your, your popular Ooh. trails and your popular sites, but what's one of the underrated areas of Colorado? I like that question. Um, I know it's definitely starting with social media, starting to get a little bit more hits, but Southern Colorado is my favorite part of the state. The San Juan mountain range is absolutely beautiful and there's endless things to do there. Um, lots of like really great fishing and hiking and backpacking and all that stuff. And in the winter, um, they definitely have more avalanche risk and stuff there as well, but there's some good, um, snowshoeing there too. Nice. Now, I know you've got a list of, of, of uh, goals here on the what's next for Shelby section. You know, the 14ers <laughs> in Colorado, the Wind River Range, fantastic. Uh, I'm really looking forward to that, actually. My my friend Cameron, um, he's another one of my crazy friends. We did Four Pass Loop this past summer, and uh, that's in Aspen, Colorado. And it's a pretty common trail. A lot of people will do it in four days four passes um so pass each day and him and I hadn't even met um when I was planning this backpacking trip and we had kind of tried to make all these plans to go hiking and stuff but we live far away from each other um Instagram friends you know (laughs) and um so I was messaging him one day and I was like yeah I'm planning four pass loop I really want to do it in three days instead of four like two and a half days probably um so if you want to come come and join along for that, feel free. And he ended up coming and we became awesome friends in those three days, which is really, really cool. And so he's crazier than I am. And he decided that he wants to do the full wind river range from one end to the next in the summer of 2023. So I'm going to tag along for that. I think it's, I don't remember how many miles it is, but it's over like 30,000 feet of elevation gain um, up and down. So that should be a fun time. Oh, I'm so jealous. You're going to have a fantastic <laughs> time. Yep. Uh, and so you say he's crazier than you. He probably scored in the fifties, you think on the, uh, on the hiking pole. Yeah, for sure. Yep. He's an ultralighter. Like he does all the ultralight stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. He's a crazy guy, but in the best way, he does a lot of 14ers and stuff like that too. So a lot of good things on your list here, but I really want to go back to an earlier comment you made when we started the hiking pool, and that is that you are an aspiring triple crowner. Yes. When is that going to happen? Uh, you know, it's so hard for me to step away from work. I love working. And so doing something like that, just the idea of like only hiking for that long is really hard for me. It is definitely something I want to do. But I've put so much time and energy and momentum into like my business and um, just getting to where I am right now that I kind of want to sit with this for a little bit longer. Um, So I'm 27 now. I feel like when I'm 30, I'll slow down and um, kind of be able to take time to do something like that, which I think is hilarious that I'm saying I'll slow down and then go do a through hike. But you do have to have, you know, a lot of time to set aside to be able to commit to that. Um, so I do think that I want to do some other like shorter hikes before I just go straight to like the AT or something like that. Um, so I'll probably start with like the Colorado trail, um, do like a little through hike that way. And maybe even the Arizona trail and kind of just like work my way up slowly that way. And, um, really like tailor in my gear and stuff like that. And then I can send it 
through the Triple Crown. <laughs> now, is there a preferred order in your mind for the Triple Crown? Which uh, which one do you do first? You know, it's really funny. I always pictured myself doing it from east to west. Um, so I, I grew up out east and like moved west and I kind of just picture that's how I would do those hikes. Um, I also feel like if you get the Appalachian Trail done, then the other two different terrain and stuff, obviously, but the Appalachian Trail is no force to to mess with either. So true. True. That makes yeah. sense. That makes sense. I, I so it it fits into your 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 history, your background going from Yeah. Is there a normal way that people do that? Do you know? Um I've heard that the I don't want to say traditional, maybe most common was uh, the AT, the PCT, and then the CDT. Interesting. I wonder why that is. Ginger Balls said, maybe it was is it Ginger Balls or IBTAT. One of the one of those two guys said that if they had done the CDT first, they would have said, forget it. I'm not doing this ever again. Because okay, New, Mexico, good to know. <laughs> New Mexico on the CDT is a very difficult start. A lot of wayfinding, not a, not, not a lot of good water sources. And uh that makes sense. I've also heard that getting from New Mexico, like into the San Juans is kind of really hard too. It's just, that's a, a difficult terrain that you're hiking through. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All, All right. right. Good to know. Hey, let's talk about <laughs> some stuff that's important to you. Some of your, some of yeah. the causes that you really, you really uh, want to instill on future hikers. Um, I would say if I had to pick like a number one, leave no trace would be my biggest one, especially as a hiking guide. I feel like that probably has to be up there. Um, but being in, especially as a hiking guide in a national park where there's so many people that we see every single day and I see so much trash and waste, including human waste along the trail. And it's really upsetting to me. Um, and with how many more people are getting outside and recreating in these spaces, I think we all have every single one of us that gets outside has a responsibility to not only pick up after ourselves, but to leave these places better than we find them. Um, that was something that my dad taught me when I was very young. Um, I never knew what leave no trace was until I moved to Colorado, actually, like several years ago is when I learned about that. Um, because I was always taught to leave things better than you find them. And you know, if I see trail or uh, trash on the trail, I pick it up, even if it's not mine. Um, I pick up other dogs poop off the trail, even if it's if I don't have my dog with me. Um, we have such an obligation to, you know, make this place better. And um, it's not a forever lasting resource. So, you know, we don't really have a choice. <laughs> Absolutely. And there's there are seven principles to leave no trace. And it's it's uh not just taking everything with you. I mean, there's, it's a lot more complicated than that. It's staying on trail. It's not polluting the, the, uh, um, water, not polluting the water, the sound and not make, you know, you're not, don't carry a big old speaker out there and blast your music. Yeah. There's a lot of different principles to leave no trace. And it's a very solid way to, to live your hiking life. For sure. Yeah. Um, I actually give all of my clients like a little card because like a card with guidelines on leave no trace, because it truly isn't like super black and white. Um, it even tells you like stay on the trail, but then obviously you're not going to go to the bathroom or if you have to use the, I like to call them facilities, you're not going to do that on the trail. You know, you got to step off. Um, oh, you like that one. Huh? <laughs> Write it down. Facilities. It's great. It's a nice little guiding joke. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, yeah, so highly recommend looking up, like if you get outside, look up Leave No Trace. It's it's very beneficial information to have. And it's not only protecting, you know, the wildlife and stuff, but it's also protecting you. Yeah. Tell us about flight plans. Flight plans. Um, you just like kind of knowing, knowing when to leave or. No, I think, I think maybe from your previous stories and what I have here in my notes is you want to let people know where you're going. Oh yes. Yes. Um, yeah, that's something that I actually do with every single one of my clients. When we, when we start a hike, um, I fill it out with them, but I have a hiking itinerary and it has really helpful information. I fill it out on every single one of my own hikes with my name, um, my phone number, my emergency contact, any like medical things that I have going on. Um, what time that I'm starting the trail and what time I'm planning on ending. And then I'll also put a panic time in there. So I won't do this for like shorter hikes and stuff, but if I'm going and planning like a 17 mile day or something, then it's pretty important that somebody knows where I am and has all those details because there's a lot that can happen in that 17 miles. Um, so putting like a panic time of, you know, if you don't hear from me, then this is like, I need to be contacted or something's something's going on. Um, and then I'll even put like the trailhead that I'm starting at and the destination. So sometimes there's like a whole network of trails that from a certain trailhead that you could take. Um, so I just try to put as much detailed information as there in there as possible, including if I'm hiking with a friend or if I'm meeting someone new, or if I have my dog with me, um, all that kind of stuff. And then on the backside, I just say, it just says Shelby's hiking itinerary for whatever date. And I put that on my dashboard. Um, so that way, no, none of my personal information is out there. But if somebody needs to break in my car to figure out where I am because something happened, God forbid, they are going to see literally everything that they need to know to go be able to find me without having GPS coordinates. Um, so I do that with everyone. And I think that is a very, very responsible thing to do if you're getting outside, especially if you're by yourself. Yeah, naive Shelby has really transformed into uh, wise <laughs> Shelby. Nice That's job. That's why they call me the trail mom now. Trail mom. Naive Shelby that was never prepared is now always prepared. Fancy ramen is now trail mom. Got it. <laughs> Fancy right. ramen trail mom. Oh, it's a lot of syllables though. You know, in case of a crisis and someone had to yell at the trail <laughs> name, I mean, they, 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 it's a lot to get out. That's true. All right. Hey, Shelby, you know where we are? Where? The pro tip insight of the week. That's right, half cap. We're at that time of the episode where Shelby gets to share some trail wisdom with our listeners. And I have to admit, you've you've done a lot of wisdom sharing throughout the episode, but now you're officially on the hook for one more. You got something else for us? Oh gosh. I might it might be kind of a a repeat of what I've already said in certain ways, but I would say do your research. Um I see so do your research and know before you go. Um I see so many people hitting a trail without ever really looking at a map. Um, they don't know like how long it is or how long they're supposed to be out. They don't know what the conditions are like or if they need bear spray or you know what certain regulations are. And there's so many incidents I feel like that can be avoided if we simply just take the time to before we get out there to learn those things. Um, familiarizing yourself with a map, I, I teach everybody to 
Um, I actually like map my own routes. So I'll go on caltopo.com and I create my own line. And when I do that, especially for like longer backpacking trips and stuff like that, there's a lot of information that you're gathering that whole time. So if I'm doing a backpacking trip and there's a ton of river crossings, that's really helpful information for me to know if I need river shoes. And, you know, if I need a good amount of like dry clothing and stuff, just in case if I fall over, if it's like a really busy crossing, um, certain things like that. I think that we can prevent a lot of discomfort and, um, things like that if we take the time and then being prepared to go along with that. So like bringing your 10 essentials and, um, doing that due diligence, there was, um, in late September, a gentleman that passed away up on Long's peak. And it is something that I talk about fairly often these days, just because it really hit home with me. Um, I was actually going to go climb that peak like the day that he passed away and, there was a storm that came in, um, late September, 14,000 foot mountain, it's definitely totally a possibility, especially like icy and snowy storms that, um, you need to be prepared for. And, um, if, you know, he had brought a few more things with him, he might be with us today still. Um, they couldn't find him. Um, he didn't have, he wasn't prepared to like stay out overnight and he actually lost the trail. Um, and so I, I hate talking about that, but I'm saying it publicly right now, because if you just bring those things, like you, you're not, you're saving your life. Um, we never anticipate, you know, when things are going to go South and, um, yeah, I think having that with you and being prepared will pay off in the long run. Yep. Two part of there, know before you go. And then once you know all that stuff, make sure you bring in the, the appropriate gear, uh, to deal with it. So yeah. Very, Sorry, that was a long answer. <laughs> very wise indeed. No, I liked it. I liked it. Now, Shelby, we, we've been talking about your, you guiding in Colorado, and I don't think we've mentioned the the name of the company. If somebody is listening to this and lives near Colorado and says, you know what? I want to hike with Shelby. I want to learn from, from wise, I'm not going to say old, wise experience, <laughs> Shelby. You know, how, how do I get in touch? How do, how do we do this? How can they contact you? Um, so my company name is Ground Up Adventures, um, and that was kind of a name that stuck home with me because I quite literally built myself from the ground up and my confidence and all that from the ground up through these adventures. Um, and so, yeah, you can find me on Instagram um, at that handle and groundupadventuresco.com is my website. Okay. So there you have it. That's it. This episode is just about in the books. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Shelby. Want to thank her for joining us this week. You just mentioned your Instagram handle. Is that your only Instagram handle? Or you have more than one account? Nope. Just that one. Just that one. Okay. Remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We are on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And if you have uh, clips you want to share with me, you can send it to me at johnfreakamir at gmail.com. The Adventure Media Recommendation. Shelby, I'm also mm. looking to you to share a recommendation for a book, a movie, documentary, website, some kind of outdoor media that's going to keep our listeners connected to, to the trail in the off season. We're calling this our adventure media recommendation. What do you have for us? Awesome. Um, I feel like I have to do a book and a movie because I can't just do one. So for a book, um, one of my favorites I can recommend is Encounters of the Arc Druid um, by John McPhee. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that one. It's 
it's an older environmental book, but it's still like really, really pre- prevalent today. Um, and it's really just discussing like leaving places wild and conservationism. And it does a really great job of showing both sides. Um, and it, I honestly think it's a great read now because um, it does a really good job of showing the importance of protecting our earth and the balance between that and using it as a resource. And it was written in the 1970s. So now that it's 2022, um, a lot has changed, but there's still a lot of information that's still really relevant in that book. Nice. Shelby, you just reminded me of another book um, that that is nonfiction that you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. I have a work of fiction that might fit in a similar vein uh, called The Monkey Wrench Gang by Edward Abbey. Have you I haven't read- heard of that. No. Oh, yeah. It's it's a classic. And you know, I read it a few years ago and it still sticks with me. I think of it every every once in a while. Uh, some It's a great storyline. It's kind of uh, eco-terrorism. Um, okay. Trying to take a stance for the for the environment. Written back in, I think it was in the 60s. Uh, 60s. Okay. Monkey Wrench Classic. I'll check it out. Uh, the Monkey Wrench Gang. Oh, Gang. Sorry. Gang by Edward Abbey. So if you haven't read that out there, oh, okay. take, a, take a read. It's a good one. Tell us about, uh, you had another one awesome. for us. Uh, other one is, uh, someone might have mentioned this before, but um, 14 Peaks on Netflix recently came out. Have you seen that one? Yeah, yeah that one was really good. Mm-hmm. It's so good. And I really loved it for just kind of proving to people that if you want something bad enough, keep going after it. Um, keep persisting. And like I say all the time, keep on trekking. Um, there's actually a woman doing all 14 of those peaks right now. Uh, Kristen Harilla. Or I'm not sure if you've seen her as well. I've not. I've not seen her. Yeah. She's doing all of them right now. I think she's only got a few more left. That's great. So you've got facilities and you've got keep on trekking. Any other (laughs) uh, guide jokes? Those are like dad jokes. Well, I can't give them all away. You gotta, I gotta save them for the hikes. Okay. (laughs) Don't want to ruin them. (laughs) What have we not asked you? And before we wrap things up, just one more segment for you called, what have I not asked you that you're dying to tell us about? What did we miss? Um, I guess the only thing we, I guess we kind of mentioned it a little bit, but just my whole mission behind um, Ground Up Adventures is to inspire people to get outside and educate them with the knowledge that they need to do it safely. And my main goal with that is so that you can feel empowered to get outside and go on your own adventures. Um, there were so many times that I turned around where I didn't go on a hike because I was just too scared. And it makes me like current Shelby is really sad for that previous version of Shelby because I was really hard on myself for saying no to that and letting my fear get in the way. The last thing I'll leave you with is just to keep getting outside. And that doesn't mean that you have to go climb a 14 or go, you know, do some crazy hike. Just getting outside in a small way is taking a step towards, you know, becoming a better version of yourself. Nice. Nice. That is a wrap from the John Freaky Muir studio. Any shout outs to friends and family, Shelby? I will shout out Sean, my partner, for just kind of supporting my whole journey and um, really supporting my solo hiking adventures. That means the world to me. Big shout out to your bro. I'll shout out your brother and uh, go <laughs> go Ohio State this weekend. <laughs> go Bucks. <laughs> All right. Thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. Doesn't care if you want to go downhill. Doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if you and Gatsby just slid a couple hundred yards down Mount Flora without an ice axe. The trail is the trail. 
Embrace the suck. Embrace the suck. <laughs> Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.